Hi there world, welcome to the Colombian Catwoman podcast aka Jeanette. Here we talk about all things black, female, business related, travel and beautifully queer. Today I want to talk about being different and struggling with that difference and trying to find community. So I'm sure that I'm not on my own along this journey, but I've always felt very different to my peers. I'm one of four. I've got three brothers, so that's a starting point. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, went to a predominantly white school, uh, a predominantly white Catholic school, just to add the extra layer there to it. And we were never black enough because we lived in a predominantly white neighborhood and never white enough. Always different is, is the feeling, is the experience, is the journey, is the story that I tell. But through that difference, I would say it made me a lot stronger, made me a lot more resilient, made me see the world in a a very different way. I always knew that I never wanted to live in the neighbourhood in which I grew up in, even maybe in the city in which I grew up in, or even in the country. My first um, experience of travelling abroad was when I was about 14 years old. We went to Italy. It was a a school trip, an organised school trip. And I remember eating veal for the first time. I'm sure that there are lots of vegetarians and vegans out there, but veal is something that exists and it's sold and bought and all the rest of it. And my friends at the dinner table were like, oh, veal, talking about what it is. I don't like it just for the reason of what it is. And I remember saying, I I do actually quite like it. It tastes okay. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, but during that trip to Italy with school, we went to a number of places, but one in particular was the Isle of Capri. And we walked up the, the mountain, up the volcano. And then on the way back down, I... I chose to walk back on my own and leave my friends, leave the group that I was with. And yep, definitely shouldn't do that, but that was something that I wanted to do. And on the way down the mountain, a group of Italian boys, is is what I think they were, surrounded me, said something to me in Italian, spanked me on the bum and then eventually let me go on my way. And that experience stayed with me for a long time. And I remembered saying that I'd never go back to Italy again because of that experience. But as an adult, we look through a very different lens. And so a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go back to Italy. Um, There was a lesbian festival taking place. I can't remember where now, but there was a, a lesbian festival taking place for the first time. And I enjoy festivals, I enjoy camping, and I thought a lesbian festival in Italy, let's give it a try. And I went back to Italy as an adult and had a really lovely experience. Um, The festival was shit, so I actually didn't 
stay there the second day I went off exploring I went to I think Venice I caught the train and went to Venice and walked along the canals and so on um so I'm really grateful that I was able to go back to Italy as an adult empowered ready to deal with different situations whether it be racism sexism there's one of my Colombian cats <laughs> um whether it be anything but I felt more knowledgeable stronger ready and I had a lovely time walking around Venice walking around the canals and seeing all the people it was a great vibe great energy and I thoroughly recommend people to go and check out Italy and check try the food don't watch and believe everything you see on TV they talk about Italy being an extremely racist country I do not deny that but I can say that the second time I went back I had a pretty good time not at the festival but overall my experience as an adult in Venice traveling for it was a long weekend something like that and I left thinking quite highly of the place and yes I would happily go back to Venice I always wanted to be part of the community and that's still a burning desire and it seems to be the most difficult thing to find create be part of you have to find the right mix of people you have to find people that are like-minded that think the same way as you and a place that you want to stay and build and that's not an easy feat by any means but i remember wanting to work on a kibbutz and for those of you who don't know what a kibbutz is it's a a community in israel and they live together maybe farm together keep the place clean and work together and build um and so they're quite common nowadays people would go to not using the term kibbutz but people would go to maybe an ashram in india and it's a very similar experience and i've always wanted to do that well i wanted to do it when i was younger i no longer have the desire it's fine now after having stayed in an ashram in rishikesh in december no i'm fine now <laughs> um but i always felt different i mean how many people do you know wanted to want to spend time in an ashram or a kibbutz living in a community but that's who I am and that's what makes me different to other people and I'm proud of the differences that maybe I was once embarrassed about and tried to hide and tried to assimilate I remember saying to my little brother one day that um I'd like to have milk crates in my home as furniture and I remember him laughing at me thinking I was mad and then when I went to I think Thailand I went to Thailand to Bangkok and I went into a bar and what did they have as stalls a seat crates milk crates something that I'd thought of maybe like 30 years before and there they were being used as furniture in a cool trendy bar in Bangkok so being different 
is a benefit. Being different is okay. Now as an adult, I definitely don't want to be like everybody else. As much as it makes the journey extremely hard, extremely lonely at times, it's a better place to be and to see the world from the perspective that I have. I'm actually living in Gran Canaria and I worked on this particular island, Gran Canaria, 20 years ago, 20 years ago. I'll be 45 this year. So 20 years ago as a holiday rep and that was back in 1999. Yeah, 1999. That's my maths, waking, waiting to um, <laughs> make sure I've got that right. 20 years ago, 1999. And during that time, um, one was as a holiday rep, we had to perform in the cabaret every week. So I used to sing um, Young Heart, Run Free on stage every week at the cabaret and we I also participated in a sketch and we probably wouldn't do that sketch today because it's not politically correct but <laughs> I was rolling around on the stage playing a Liverpudlian um, so yeah that was part of our cabaret and um, working as a holiday rep again I was the only black person that I met And I worked here in Gran Canaria, I worked in Tenerife, I worked in Fuerteventura. And then I went to Jamaica with the same company as a holiday rep. I'd bugged my mum and we went to um, the London Commission, the London Commission, the Jamaican Commission in London rather, to um, get a Jamaican passport so that I could work in Jamaica. I always get what I want. I always work and find a way and research and find a way of making things happen. So as a British national working for a British company, I wanted to work in Jamaica. And my mum and I, we went to the commission in London, the Jamaican commission, and I got my Jamaican passport. And then the company sent me to Jamaica to work. That was a very different experience. I wasn't really part of a team. I was the foreigner working with the locals and on a different salary to the locals and they had their families and they were part of the community and they didn't live in the same vicinity. I lived on site in a hotel and uh, yeah, it was quite a lonely experience but I'm glad that I did it. It was what I wanted and I remember my boss, she was Australian white Australian woman she was kind of cool she was married to a Jamaican man and um, we spent a bit of time together so I was grateful to have her because she was an outsider who but she was married to a Jamaican man I was thinking about this the other day at at that actual property I can't remember the name of it but uh, we had an event there and after the event um, a woman reported the fact that something had happened to her, somebody violated, assaulted her, done something to her, I can't remember exactly what it was. And I was called as a witness to make a statement by the hotel. 
And at the time, 20 years ago, I didn't understand the power of my statement that I backed up the guys saying that I'd seen them and they were all there and they did nothing. And I was thinking about this the other day. I wonder what happened. I wonder what the truth was of that situation. That woman who claimed that she was assaulted, why would she have made that claim if there wasn't some truth to it in some way, shape or form? And the hotel just joined together and everybody just said, no, she was lying. That's how power works in the world. She was lying, nothing happened and we were all telling the truth as respected members of the community. Quite disappointed with myself. It's not something I can change, but um, it's just what happens in a situation where you don't have all of the facts and you're a bit blind to the truth. I have to acknowledge that. But if I was called again in that situation, I definitely wouldn't be siding on the you know, the side of wrong. I don't want to be there. I don't want to know that I've gone in a direction that wasn't helpful, that wasn't truthful, that wasn't honest. That's not how I see myself. So Italy was a good experience the second time around. Jamaica, as a holiday rep, was okay. I was able to go on the excursion. I lived in a hotel room. I had food on site. <laughs> it was quite a comfortable life, but a, quite a boring life. There was no team, there was no crew. When I worked here in the Canary Islands as a holiday rep, I lived in a shared house. We were on a terrible salary. I think it was like £400 a month. But we lived in a house together. We got commission on the tours that we sold. And there were other benefits you'd get freebies when you go to places because they were like you work for x company so come in or bring people here and we'll hook you up so it was a good experience <laughs> definitely a good experience kibbutz israel i'm fun if i never go there that'll be fine i'll i'll be cool i don't need to live that experience i've lived many many others when we were younger, our father promised us um, that he was going to take us to St. Kitts, which is where my father was from, the capital. And so we were very, 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 very working class, just in case you didn't get that. And we ordered some clothes from the catalogue to take with us to St. Kitts. And we were told by our father or ordered by our father to put those clothes down and not wear them. We, we weren't allowed to wear them or do anything with them. We were just able to look at them and put them away for our trip to St. Kitts. And then our father, being who he was, not a man of his word, shall we say, to say the least, didn't end up taking us to St. Kitts as he promised. And then decided that we were allowed to wear those clothes. <laughs> I remember that pink dressing gown. Those clothes that we were then allowed to wear didn't even fit us properly. <laughs> oh, it was, you know, the, sh the sleeves were kind of halfway up our arms. And uh, 
my big brother told a little porky about that one when we got back to school. For what reason, who knows? But um, we didn't go to St Kitts as our father had promised. But that's on the list. I need to go. I need to make that pilgrimage. I've been to Jamaica a number of times and I made a pilgrimage a few years ago to go and trace my mum's roots and go to Kingston. And I just walked around Kingston. I kind of felt at home. It felt like, is this the same big bad Kingston that people talk about? I'm sure that there are parts that you shouldn't go to. So St Kitts is on the list. And the story, the the moral of the story about my father and our clothes that we had ordered, the special clothes to go to St. Kitts in or with, uh, is never put clothes down for a special day, for a special occasion, for a rainy day. I wear whatever the fuck I want to wear when I want to wear it, because that's what that lesson taught me. That special occasion that you buy the outfit for might never come. Even if you buy a wedding dress and you plan on getting married someday, wear it. The wedding might happen, you buy yourself another dress, you alter the one you've got. You wear the same dress exactly as it is, who cares? But life is short and things change. (laughs) I... went to Cuba, my mum was still alive at the time and that was back in 2012, really really fortunate to have found this at the last moment, I mean I don't, in terms of the travelling that I've done, I haven't always planned it, it's very very last minute, very ad hoc and it's always worked out because that's life. So 2012, I wanted to go to Cuba and I wanted to go to Cuba because I should have gone as part of my degree, but I chose to stay in Spain, in Malaga, um, for the whole of my year abroad. So that's just such a funny situation because the year abroad was was the carrot that I was dangling in front of my own face throughout the whole of my first year of my degree and my second year of my degree and I was like I'm going to Cuba I'm going to Cuba for the third year I'm going to Cuba I'm going to Cuba that was all I was looking forward to and then I got to Spain to Malaga for the first term because I was supposed to be in Spain for the first term and Cuba for the second term and when I was in Spain I lived in a shared house and I met an Irish friend Pamela and I actually had a beautiful time in Malaga and I decided not to go to Cuba. Imagine, stay in Spain. Sometimes we go searching and looking for things and we've already got the thing that we want and we have to acknowledge that. And that was a big thing. I was the only person from my university going to Cuba. I'd already made arrangements to move into a house and share a room with somebody. I'd driven to Nottingham I drove to Nottingham to meet my to meet my potential housemate we'd agreed that it was fine and we were going to share the room together in in Cuba there was also financial implications staying in Europe I was uh, I had a European bursary European funding Erasmus funding and student loans and things like that but going to Cuba 
the majority of that funding wasn't available because it's not part of Europe. And at the very last minute, I contacted my university and I said, I'm not going to Cuba. (laughs) And that was the strangest thing because that was the carrot. That was the golden nugget that I really wanted to do. I really wanted to go there. So when I spent my year abroad in Spain, the whole year in Spain, I graduated, completed my degree, really happy, really proud of myself for doing that. I did that as an adult, not easy. I did my degree in Spanish and business studies with French from beginners. So beginner Spanish. And by the end of it, um, I'm now a qualified teacher of Spanish. So huge jump. How the fuck did I make all these transitions? Starting a degree as a beginner, ab initio. Degree in Spanish. And I was then first year in a separate group, the beginners group. And then the second year, we then joined the uh, students who'd been studying A-level Spanish. And I was in the same class with them. And some of them went abroad and some of them didn't. We had the option to. Um, So... As I was saying, I spent my year abroad in Spain, but when I finished my degree and everything, I still had this yearning desire to go to Cuba. So in 2012, last minute, I went on the Cuba Solidarity Campaign Programme. And it's funny, I'm doing this podcast today because today I watched the WASP Network, which is a a film about Cuban politics, Cuban-American politics, an incredible film, and I'd highly recommend it on Netflix, available on Netflix. And so that Cuban experience was so beautiful. So a few things, a few things rather, about that. Being a black woman, there are advantages in some countries that we travel to, and those countries are countries where there are other black people. Um, <laughs> lots of things. One, I was out in the field and then something happened to me in the field. I can't remember what it was, but I couldn't continue working in the field. So I was then moved to work in the kitchen. In the mornings, we were working on the farm. And in the afternoons, we had talks, political talks, and we had events and activities and things like that. So it was manual labour in the morning. We had lunch. And then in the afternoon, we had activities. And then towards the end of the stay, the end of the programme, It was a little bit lighter. We went to a hotel. We went and did more fun things. I might talk about those things in a moment. But um, I remember begging the the, uh, head of the kitchen for some butter and sugar because I wanted to make a cake for everybody. And I begged every day, can we have some butter? Can we have the sugar? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And because everything's rationed, it's Cuba. (laughs) And eventually I was given the extra butter and the sugar. So I was able to make a cake and I made a huge cake for everybody. And we took it around and we offered it to everybody. And it was just a lovely thing because the truth of the matter is the food was really, really basic. I remember mangoes, boiled eggs, rice, maybe avocado and not much else on these really industrial dirty trays the food was not was not was not great but the experience in Cuba was the people were incredible and so being a black woman I remember going out and going for a walk somewhere I can't remember exactly what I was doing but I was walking around Havana on my own and it was cool and then um 
I, I think I got a taxi or a bike taxi or something and I, I managed to get a good price. Being a tourist, you're always ripped off everywhere. Um, being a black tourist is better, but it doesn't mean that we're exempt from it. And I remember coming back and talking to my colleagues, my comrades, um, that I'd been out and I'd done this and I got really good price. And they were like, wow, I want to come out with you, Jeanette. You know, the <laughs> you open your mouth. And then people said they want to come out with you because they want to get the deals and they want to be treated like you because Cuba is kind of hardcore. It was hardcore when we were there that people are trying to make a fast book. And um, and then they were with me, white people with me, and we went to do something and the price was just back to the tourist prices. <laughs> and they looked at me like, you were lying, Jeanette. And I didn't say anything, but... Is like, I wasn't lying, but the shit's different right now and I can't do anything to change the situation. But yeah, that was one of the things that happened in Cuba. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I remember going to the Cuban Museum of Modern Art. Oh my God. Oh my God. I wished that we were able to take cameras in, but we weren't allowed. And that's why it's preserved so well. So in a country where everything is um, monitored and maintained and so on and so forth. I remember seeing this huge black rubber vulva on the wall in the Museum of Modern Art in, in Cuba, in Havana. Oh, my fucking word. So on that day, we had two options. There was an option to go to visit something and then go to the museum. And I chose the museum because I I love art. I like art. And there was this beautiful, big, black vulva in the fucking museum. And I was like, where's my camera? Oh, my God. I remember laughing and talking about it to the security guards and whoever I was with at the time. And I really wanted to take a picture, but they were just, like, watching us like hawks. Um, but the artwork was phenomenal considering the limited resources that they have in Cuba that they have access to. But where there's poverty, there's creativity. And I saw that time and time again in Cuba and in Colombia, and Colombia more so than anywhere else in the world. There's ingenuity, there's creativity, there's everything, everything to get ahead in life. And... There are many, many more travel stories that I could share with you. Um, I'm going to finish up soon. I still have a dream of traveling around the Caribbean islands, so island hopping and familiarizing myself with all the different music and food and the spices and the colors and the smells and... ah. I so want to do that, want to island hop around the Caribbean. That's on the list of of places to go. I can't believe that in my lifetime, Colombia was known as the kidnapping capital, the drug capital. And then they worked so hard to change its world image and world reputation to the saying that the only danger is wanting to stay. And I'm going to talk about Cuba in a separate, sorry, about Colombia rather, in a separate podcast. Um, That's where my name comes from, the Colombian Catwoman. But Colombia's incredible and highly frustrating at the same time, which is life. Everything is a bit of a paradox. 
Um, <laughs> so, in 2012, I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to backpack around Latin America. That was the plan, but I hadn't really planned anything because that's how I do things. <laughs> but that was the intention, not the plan, that was the intention. So I was going to start off in Cuba, I did, I did the camp and then the second week I went to the east coast of Cuba and stayed in a private home, uh, Casa Particular, and rented a room and went to the carnival. The carnival was, was, was whack, but that was where it showed that, you know, it was a, a struggling economy and access to resources was very limited and things were old and the carnival just was pretty sad really in terms of the resources that they had. <laughs> so the second week in Cuba, no, not the second week, but during my stay in Cuba, a couple of things. One was when I was in the camp, or at the camp rather, I was being bitten by mosquitoes and back in the day I used to have really bad allergic reactions to mosquito bites, like hives on my skin, it was terrible. Um, and I needed some uh, mosquito repellent. So I went with the driver from the camp and we went driving around Havana to pharmacies, to hotels, to, I think it was like the five-star hotel in Havana asking if they had insect repellent and it wasn't available for purchase anywhere. That's the, the problem with countries like Cuba. Incredible, but money doesn't make a difference. And eventually we gave one place a last try and they had some insect repellent and it was just incredible. It was like this little backwater pharmacy or shop. Um, but yeah, really happy to, to have found that. But then also, so when I wanted to use the internet to plan the trip and do some research whilst I was in Cuba, <laughs> trying to access the internet, it's available. However, the internet connection's available, but you need to buy a card that gives you an access code to use the internet. And the hotel where the internet's available had run out of cards and they were awaiting a delivery of cards. So it's just so frustrating. Things are there, the infrastructure's there, but life is just unnecessarily difficult. And I remember those kind of things happening and that's when I just got fed up and I just said, enough of this place, time to move on to the next place. So then I decided to leave Cuba and I was thinking, should I go to Jamaica and go and check out my mum's place of birth or should I go to Mexico or somewhere else? Cuba was a good springboard, a good opportunity um, to explore the Caribbean as it's still a dream today. I chose to go to Mexico. Back in the day, you had to notify your bank if you were travelling. I mean, what ridiculous situation, what, what stupidness. You had to notify your bank. And I had given the dates as to when I was travelling and where I was travelling. But I moved from Cuba because I just got pissed off with the things that was happening or not happening or the way that things worked. And I went to Mexico earlier, a couple of days earlier than planned. I rocked up into Mexico and my bank, my Barclays account was blocked or my Lloyd's account, I can't remember which one, was blocked. And so I remember sitting in the airport trying to get some help, sending messages to friends, to people, and people thought that my account had been hacked. 
and nobody responded. And I was trying to contact my family to get them to contact the bank and data protection. And I just remember being sat in Mexico airport trying to get some money because I needed money to do what I needed to do and to move and to to make phone calls and just the simplest of things. And that was another lesson learned. Always walk with change. Always make sure you've got credit on your Skype account. Always make sure you've got access to calls in some way, shape or form. And always make sure that you walk with some money as well. In the end, my family was able to help me. I can't remember exactly what they did, but my mum sorted something out, as always. My mum sorted something out for all of us all the time that we were stuck. So when you make uh, decisions and you don't think about them, mum always used to help us out. My mother is no longer here. But um, so I went to Mexico. I was like, I'm not a good backpacker. I travel with too much stuff. I can't really do the backpacking thing. So let me see if I can stay in Mexico. So I initially stayed in Mexico City and I made a friend with a couple of people. So Susan, who I'm still friends with today, and April, we're Facebook friends, but we don't communicate anymore. April was a black American from Atlanta living in New York, living in Mexico City. And we ended up being housemates I don't know how the fuck that happened I can't remember how that happened but she was so cool and her apartment was lovely and in a really good location before I ended up living there I was living in the house like a refugee house <laughs> I can't remember what it's called Suzanne would remember she reminded me the other day and in this house so they rent out beds and a percentage of the revenue from the hostel is then put back or given to not given to but it's basically then a a certain number of beds are given to refugees and so on so it was a hostel trying to do loads of things but basically mixing travelers with people who were seeking political asylum in Mexico and imagine people seeking political asylum in a country like Mexico in a hard fucking country and there we met quite a few Nigerians and Happy was one of those people that we met that I remember and Susan and I were talking about some of the people the other day David she said he's uh he's somewhere in Germany I think um or I can't remember what she said the other day but the point of the matter is that people traveled or travel from African countries to get to the US and they go via Mexico and they get trapped in Mexico. Imagine being trapped in a really, really economically challenged country. Um, Oh, my God. And so, but that was great meeting those people and we broke bread and we laughed. And uh, one of David's sayings, David was a Jamaican guy originally, from Jamaica and one of his sayings was Miss Paisanos, Miss Paisanos, my countrymen, my fellow countrymen. Um, And we used to laugh, we used to laugh. But I decided that Mexico City wasn't for me. It was a jungle. It was fucking hard. There was so much poverty everywhere. It was just relentless. So much noise, so many people. You get on the train and people are pushing you on and pushing you off. The train was just jam-packed peak hours. The bus was jam-packed. We're talking seven o'clock in the morning. The bus pulls off and it's full and people are hanging out the outside of the bus. And then the next bus pulls up and there's already a line of people, like 20 people deep, 30 people deep waiting for the bus. And then the next one, and then that's the peak hours of the morning. Um, that's Mexico City. And there's much art and culture and cool people and great food and 
things to do and to see and climb Chichen Itza and all the things that you can do in Mexico City. I remember saying to Susan, oh my God, and April and her boyfriend, like this place is crazy. After having been in Cuba where everything's quite orderly, poverty isn't isn't overt. There's no people begging on the street. There are no kids begging on the street. There aren't people um, hitting themselves and oh, selling things and bands of blind uh, organ players and, you know, on the metro every day. Uh, it's like there's one person selling something and that person then waiting for the next person to finish who's waiting for the next person to finish and they're all respectful because it's what they do they all know the vibes they all know the rules but one person starts selling something or starts playing music and then the next person comes and then the next person comes and that person finishes and everybody's selling something everybody's got a story to tell selling something whether they're blind kids I remember somebody with half a torso on a skateboard <laughs> flagellating himself on on <laughs> on the metro. But yeah, I was like, Mexico City isn't for me. Where to next? And they suggested Puerto Vallarta, which is on the Pacific coast of Mexico. And they made the right decision. They made the right suggestions and recommendations. So I travelled down by bus from Mexico City to Puerto Vallarta and lots of things happened uh, made some good friends I make friends everywhere and I'm really blessed to be able to say that and some of those people were still in contact today if they're still alive we're still in contact today Linda Harley bless her soul even gave me a reference the other day Bless you, Linda. Always there, always complimentary, always kind, always friendly. God. Javi was a young Mexican guy, a young gay Mexican friend. And I didn't know it, but when a mutual friend of ours from Mexico visited visited Colombia, he told me that Max Javi rather had passed away. I was so saddened to hear that because he was such a bright, young, intellectual guy and we used to have good conversations and he had dreams of becoming a lawyer. But life isn't promised to any of us. I feel like I'm going off on lots of different tangents. The point that I'm going to say is that you never know what happens. You never know how life changes. My mum took sick the one weekend it was the Sunday and I called home as I, I used to always call home and check in and see what was going on and just, you know, make sure people knew that I was safe. My mum said that she wasn't well. She'd been out the day before. She was doing her thing, which was drinking herbal tea. She um, then said that she was going to go to the doctor the following day. And I called the following day. And at that time, my brother was taking my mum to the doctors. And we didn't think it was anything serious. You don't ever think anything serious until it is. And then he took our mother to the doctors. And then, I don't know whether I called again that night or the following day. I think it must have been the following day. My brothers told me that our mother had been... Uh, sent to hospital and on an ambulance 
on an ambulance bed and so they didn't know what was the matter with her I think it was on yep so she was sick the weekend the Monday she was admitted into hospital and I called again the following day they were still doing tests they didn't know what was the matter with her mother and then I think it was the the Wednesday day or the day before I called they said oh, they think it's a pulmonary embolism and they'd given her mother I think beta blockers to try and treat it and that she should have the treatment and she should have been coming home and then have to go back in for a checkup in six months time and then later that day while I was on my I was at my market store because I used to sell food at the local farmers market which is where I met the beautiful Linda and Jan and other people but those two people in particular and my brother called me and he said that our mother had gone I was in shock and I just walked away from my stall I told Javi what was going on because he was there supporting me I walked away from my stall and left everything there went back home and just booked a flight sorted out things there booked a flight to go back to, to to do what I needed to do in the UK so that was Christmas 2012 everybody's travelling looking forward to Christmas I'm going back to bury my mum don't know what to say right now I don't want to leave it like this, but I went back to the UK and we gave our mother the best service that that anybody could ask for. We designed her coffin, the Caribbean sunset. Michelle did a beautiful rendition of I'm on my way by Mahalia Jackson. We got the food, the catering, the music. We just did the best that we could to give her the sending off that she deserved. Just remembered that um, it was crazy the weather that year and it was snowy and icy and they'd been cancelling funerals because the ground was too hard to dig and it was so unsafe and we weren't sure whether we were going to be able to bury our mother that day. But the universe was on our side and that was the first day, I think, out of the whole week where the funerals went ahead as scheduled. And so we were able to bury our mum and the church was packed out, packed out to the rafters. Everybody had good things to say about our mum about Angela my mum and I used to travel together 
She was my friend and my travel companion. We went to Egypt, we went to New York, we went to Jamaica. We came here to the Canary Islands. We traveled from the Canary Islands. Not from the, from the mainland Spain. She came to visit me when I was on my year abroad. We traveled down by ferry. I think I talked about this in the first podcast. Down to Morocco. My mum was up for exploring. We went to Mexico together. She was open to life, open to change, and she was open to being influenced by things. We went to Mexico together. We went to New York. She lived a life a little bit. She had a hard life, but she started to enjoy life in later years and enjoy traveling and enjoy different foods and exploring and being more independent and being more open-minded. <laughs> Even to her daughter chanting down the house with, with fellow buddies friends, rocking the house. Even to me bringing my girlfriends to the house and introducing them to my mum. She wasn't down with it, but she was, she was pleasant enough, shall we say. <laughs> Angela. Everything I do now is in honour of my parents, in particular my mum, but in honour of my ancestors, all the stories that I know about my family, the displacement, the hardship, the challenges and struggles that we've all faced and continue to face. Everything I do is to make them proud and to leave a legacy. And I was just talking about this to Nicola today. Hey, Nicola to leave a legacy, to make sure that my story, the stories before me and the stories after me are told. And people know that we as black people travel. I've been traveling on my own for 20 years. I've been to Nepal, I've been to Vietnam, I've been to Thailand, I've been to India, I've been to Dubai. I've driven to Oman from Dubai. I've been to Mexico, I've been to Colombia, I've been to Cuba, I've been to Jamaica, I've been to the States been to Greece, been to France, fucking you name it. Had the opportunity to work in Russia. Hell to the motherfucking no, I told them. Who am I trying to kid about working and living in Russia? Was Had the opportunity to go to China. Hell to the no. Look at what's going on there right now. Trust your instincts. Trust your journey. Don't, afraid to be dif- don't be afraid to be different. It's okay. Look at what being different has led me to do and led me to the places that I've been to and to see the things I've seen and to learn. I can talk in Spanish. I can defend myself. I can sit down with the accountant. I can do my MBA in Spanish with my classmates and work with them. I'm looking at my next business opportunity. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't think that you are your past. Even yesterday was yesterday and today's a different day and better must come. And keep on fighting and trudging on. Moving up. Moving forward. Don't give up the struggle. Don't give up the fight. We will persevere. We will persevere. We will win. The Catwoman is over and out. One love. Jobless.